season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode sponsor is Mind Baseball, located in Dallas, Texas. Their bats are made from 100% European beech wood, which allows for more density, which then leads to more power. I mean, who doesn't want more power? We all know chicks dig the long ball. Multiple studies prove that beech outperforms maple, birch, and ash that you're probably used to swinging. Beech wood straight grains mean for less breaks, and mine baseball exceeds the MLB regulations in that category. Are you also frustrated with seeing the dried paint spots on your barrel? Mine Baseball uses a family secret technique that leaves a perfect finish every time. If you set their bat next to another brand, you will make sure that you see the difference. Lastly, they also use a built-in grip to reduce vibrations. It is the same technology that is used to reduce recoil in rifles. Make sure to check them out. Go find them on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, on Instagram, their username is at mine, M-I-N-E, baseball. Check them out, but let's dig into today's episode. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we have Tex Ags, baseball and football recruiting analyst, and the Texas 12 Associate Director of High School Baseball Operations. we got Ryan Broninger on the JKR Podcast for the Texas 12 Series powered by Mind Baseball. Ryan, super pumped to get you on the show. How are you doing today? I appreciate you having me, man. I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast ahead of me and uh, stoked that you you chose us to, to do this podcast series over. So I'm happy to be here. Awesome. I appreciate it. Um, but before we dig into your career, before we dig into the Texas 12, I have one question I like to ask everybody that gets on the podcast. And that is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Ryan Broninger? Yeah, I think as I've grown and matured, I think that I'm a guy that wears a lot of hats. And uh, people always ask me, like, how do you manage all the stuff that you do? And, you know, I've never really sat down and thought about how to answer that. But you know, from a baseball coach perspective, I feel like I, I'm I'm molded by the men that coach me. I'm molded by, um, you know, growing up in a very Christian faith-based household with great examples in my father and my grandfathers um, on how to be a man and, and how to respect people and how to respect yourself and how to work. And um, so I was blessed to grow up in that environment. And then, you know, from an early age, and I'm from a uh, area of Southeast Texas around Beaumont. So it's, it's on I-10 right before you get into Louisiana. Um, it's kind of its own world because it's kind of, it, it's a populous area that's by itself. Essentially, you got to drive 90 miles from Houston to get there. You're really not into Louisiana yet. So it's kind of got its own culture and identity and sports and being successful in sports down there when I was growing up was really important to the towns that you grew up in. Um, it's a bunch of small towns that have a bunch of rivalries. You know, you're separated by railroad tracks or, you know, just a couple of a, a mile stretch of road is separating towns. So um, there's a really competitive atmosphere that I grew up in. I was lucky to play on some teams that, you know, back in the early 2000s, we didn't play travel ball. We played select baseball uh, and was able to go and um, we didn't play select ball. Excuse me. We played Babe Ruth baseball. 
So went to a couple of World Series there and had guys coaching me that they pushed us, man. They pushed us hard from an early age and set expectations. So I think going through those experiences in my home and in my early baseball career have shaped me kind of in into who I am as a coach. Uh, and, and then on the media side, and if you talk to my parents or anybody that, that kind of grew up around me, I like to talk. Um, uh, my brain doesn't do much, but this sports stuff. So I'm very lucky and blessed to be able to work in this industry, but I can talk. I like to talk and I know enough about sports or I did growing up where people are like, Hey, you ought to get into sports broadcasting or you ought to get into sports production or whatever it is. And so I've, I guess that's kind of always been my angle um, or, or kind of been my avenue growing up as a, as a career would, would kind of be perfect for me. So you ask who I am. I feel like I, I'm a man that's been shaped by a lot of the influences that I've had in my life, uh, both at home and on the baseball field. Um, and, and then the other stuff professionally uh, with tech sags. I, I don't know. I guess that was one of those things that I was just kind of born innately with, but yeah, for, for, for the, the way that I coach, the way that I run practices, I, I always, and, and you, I'm sure you've talked to so many baseball people that you, you're a copycatter, right? You're pulling stuff from everybody that's been a part of your upbringing or been a part of your baseball development. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm very much a copycat. There's a lot of stuff that I do that I have ripped from Greg Bennett, that I've ripped from Jeremy Knox, that I've ripped from Kevin Hodge, uh, that I've ripped from youth baseball coaches that I had back in Southeast Texas. So I feel like I'm a conglomerate of a lot of different people and personalities. But, you know, I think at, at the core of who I am was molded by my father's example and my grandfather's examples uh, of how to be a man and what it takes to uh, be successful and, and walk with your head held high because of the way you do things and the way you treat people. Okay. So you talk about how you grew up there in Southeast Texas, you know, you kind of have your own culture there. It's all very, very competitive when it comes to, you know, high school sports out, out there in Southeast Texas. Take us through your journey from high school baseball to what ended you up at McNeese State where you played baseball there up until what, 08, 09. I know that was, you know, 14, 15 years ago, but kind of take us through that journey a little bit. Easy with all that. That's yeah. It's getting, getting further away every day, but yeah. Uh, grew up in Southeast Texas playing youth sports and then, Went to Nederland High School, um, played there for four years as a four-year letterman on the varsity. Um, I think my senior year at Nederland, we were number two in the state for most of the season. Um, just about every guy on that starting nine played college baseball in some form or fashion. Uh, and, and so it was the early days of really competitive travel ball in the summer. Uh, and so I was I was lucky enough to be able to, to play with some of those guys and from – players from around the, the surrounding area uh, lucky enough to play with them in the summers and on a pretty competitive team. And that's kind of where I got scouted. And uh, my dad went to Texas A&M. My uncle went to Texas A&M. I always thought I was going to go to Texas A&M. And this is where I had essentially had a preferred walk-on spot under Rob Childress, or excuse me, under Mark Johnson, who was uh, at A&M before Rob Childress. My the summer going the summer after my senior year about that time, Mark Johnson was fired at A and M and they'd hired Rob Childress and I, I don't hold it over anybody's head they chose not to go uh, to keep all the preferred walk on commitments they were going their own direction totally get it but I was left without a place to play pretty late uh, I had a bunch of junior college visits um, ended up signing with Hill College 
a school that I never even visited. I thought for sure that I was going to go to Okaloosa Walton College in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. They brought me on a visit, made me feel really important. Uh, then with about a month left until move in, they pulled my scholarship for the backup scholarship for, to give my scholarship to the backup shortstop at Florida State. Um, and so I was kind of a man without a home. I didn't know what I was going to do. Was I going to be done with baseball? Uh, ended up signing with Hill College and played a year at Hill College, a very competitive junior college baseball kind of circuit back in that day uh, in north central Texas. Had a good season there, put up pretty good numbers, um, and then had some offers after my first year. I, I knew I didn't want to stay in junior college for two years. Um, academically, I felt like it was a little bit – it didn't align with what I wanted to do academically. Um, and I also – you know, I always viewed myself as a Division One player. And so had a bunch of different offers. Um, I say a bunch of different. I had a few offers coming out of Hill College, and I chose the time with McNeese State in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I thought – um, it's a program that I grew up that I was familiar with. My summer league coach at the time uh, in high school at the time was the hitting coach now at McNeese, and I uh, thought it was a good fit. I thought it was in you know it was about an hour away from where I grew up, so that's far enough away from mom and daddy for me to be on my own, but close enough if I ever needed to go back and get my washing done or go get a good meal, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, signed there and uh, and played three years at McNeese. Had a really solid senior year, and uh, you know had to make some decisions after my career there in Lake Charles got, got done about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. So you said you kind of grew up when, you know, tra the travel or the, the travel baseball world was kind of on the come up, obviously around the same time that Texas 12 was on the come up. Did you get that chance to play up against Texas 12, you know, being 90 miles away from where college station's at or did, or where was that? Did you ever play that? No, so 12 actually, it started in 2006, but it really didn't start to grow, I would say, to where they were going out and playing at the high school level until probably 2011, 2010, 2011. So when I was – I actually got done in high school in 2005. So I never crossed paths uh, with 12. Now, the teams that were established in the College Station area before that, we did play uh, on occasion. Uh, but not 12 was something totally new to me whenever I got involved with it after I got done playing. Yeah, I knew that timeline was close. I couldn't remember if it was 04 or 06 when the Texas 12 got started. And I, yeah. I knew you graduated in 09. I knew the timeline would be close, but wasn't sure. Uh, but yeah. so you graduate from McNeese in 09. You said, you know, you're trying to figure out what you're trying to do with your life. How does that transition into coaching? So when did you get your start within baseball, within coaching? Take us through that journey a little bit. That's a pretty funny story. I actually... Like I said, I was very heavily influenced growing up about by the coaches that I had. And so I don't know if it was kind of I knew in the back of my mind that it'd be something I might be pretty good at. Um, but I was really good, like I said, about just picking stuff off of, of other coaches and either applying it to my game or using it to try to help my teammates, all that kind of stuff. And um, so actually my last summer at when I was at McNeese before my senior year, uh, I didn't go play. I didn't go play in the summer league. I played in the Jayhawk league. I chose not to go play. And I actually started coaching uh, at our local Babe Ruth league. That was the, I think the first coaching gig I ever had was just, you know, coaching the high school guys that weren't much younger than me uh, in a summer Babe Ruth league. And I was coaching them in all stars. And we had a really good run with one of those groups where we went to the, I think the, the world series that year was in Bentonville, Arkansas. And we went and made it. And, I, and it was a really cool experience. I was like, man, that was fun. And like, I liked, I liked imparting my knowledge on, on young players, but also being a part of their growth and seeing them mature and become young men and, and how the game of baseball 
in so many different ways can reveal character traits about a kid that didn't even know they had. And so I think that's part of the reason I fell in love with it. And then, so after I got done at McNeese, I took a year off trying to figure out, was I going to go play internationally? I had some opportunities in some very new leagues. In fact, one of them I thought I was going to in Italy. I thought I was going to go play international baseball in Italy. I've got a ton of Italian heritage on my, my dad's side. And, uh, Going back and looking at it now, dude, like I should have done it, right? Like how cool would that have been regardless of what the level of play was and the pay structure and that, like I was learning about all that kind of stuff. But, you know, now 15, you know, 14 years later, I'm going, dude, you probably should have done that. Like yeah. what idiot for not going to play in Italy. But uh, so I took a year off of everything. I was just kind of working some odd jobs here and there. And um I started coaching up. That was the year I started coaching my first travel baseball organization. At the time, it was called Golden Triangle Baseball. It's no longer around. It was in that Southeast Texas, greater Beaumont area. Um, and that's really got where I got started in the select industry. And then I, the story of how I got with 12, I mean, that that's a whole different thing. But that's kind of where I cut my teeth was with Mid-County Senior Babe Ruth in Southeast Texas and then Golden Triangle Baseball was my first job as a paid coach. Okay. So you had pretty good success there. You said that that junior to senior summer when you were in college, your first summer coaching baseball had some pretty good success going to that World Series in Bentonville. But what were some of what were some of those toughest transitions or maybe even some of those roadblocks that you hit, you know, going from a player to a coach, coaching some of those guys, you know, expressing your knowledge down to the next generation? What were some of those roadblocks? What was that transition like? Yeah, just maturing. Right. And like not being so emotional about the things that happen in the moment. As a player, everything's in your control. So when something negative happens how you react is obviously important, but you're going to have a chance to go fix it later. And that there are certain truths about that, about being a coach, but you can't be so emotionally up and down pitch to pitch as a coach. Like, and that's something I think a lot of young coaches that have come through our organization now that I've, I've seen grow up in our organization a little bit. So I've done it for so long. Uh, that's one thing that I think is pretty common. In a lot of young coaches, they just kind of figuring out, the differences in reactions and kind of how to view the entirety, you know, of the, of the whole thing. You got to, as a coach, you got to be able to take the telescopic view, right? I've got to be able to see the whole earth. I got to see the whole thing. Whereas a player, you're looking through a microscope and it's just pitch to pitch, that kind of thing. So I think that was the toughest transition for me. And that's something that you just learned by, by going and doing it and realizing that, dude, you're not a player anymore. You've got to be able to look at the entire product, to look at the entire game and, and be able to pick things out of it that will progress your team forward, progress the individuals forward. Um, but it's hard to do that right when you come out of playing, uh, especially I was a young, I was 23 years old when I got done playing. So I had a lot of stuff to learn from life perspective and obviously baseball perspective. Yeah. So after that year off, before you got your first job in select baseball, that was around the same time, I believe you went to Texas A&M for your master's degree. Take us through that. And then how you, I'm sure that's how you probably got connected with Coach Bennett as well. So take us through, you know, maybe going from that first select team that you coached to the Texas 12 to not kind of where you're at now. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to go to it for advanced education, but I knew I only want to go to advanced education 
uh, at Texas A&M. So I applied to get my master's in sport management at Texas A&M. It was the only school I applied to. If I had not gotten in, dude, I don't know what I would have been doing. I, I really don't like I would have probably been living in Southeast Texas doing similar kind of stuff, uh, but just at a real smaller scope, smaller level. So I can remember I was giving a hitting lesson. And at the time I had a BlackBerry phone and I got an email on the BlackBerry phone that said I'd been accepted to Texas A&M and I stopped the lesson and I went and called everybody in my phone book and told them I was, I was finally going to go to A&M. I'd gotten in. And so from there, I think the next phone call that I had was from Greg Bennett and he was running the sport management master's program at the time. And I, I believe he still is. And, um, he called and he looked, he looked at my resume and he looked at my application and he said, Hey, we got this baseball deal up here. I think you'd be really interested in, is it something that you want to do? And he didn't know that I'd been kind of coaching in a select baseball atmosphere. Then that was in 2010, man. So I met Kevin Hodge the first time in 2010 when this thing was infancy, really infancy. And I have watched this thing grow into what it is now to what a guy like you is wanting to do a whole podcast series on us. So just that transition has been wild, but yeah, that's kind of how I got hooked up with, with Greg Bennett in the 12 was I got into his master's program and it, it just seems so you go back and you look at moments in your life, man. And like, what has, what has impacted you so much? And like that, that decision for me to quit playing baseball and to pursue an advanced degree and then the subsequent phone calls after, like, that's not random. That's not, like, happenstance. Like, I firmly believe that a higher power is doing this. Like, there's no way I'm too much of a dummy and a dunce to be able to work this stuff out on my own. Like, something else at a higher power has got to be involved here because it was just me I would have screwed this stuff up. All right. there. So, uh, at first, when you you know you have that you have that second phone call or the the first phone call right after you're telling everyone I got accepted A and M, talk to Coach Bennett. What is that first job you have with the Texas Twelve, and then how has that evolved here? You know these past thirteen years. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I haven't thought about this stuff in forever. So like, I really appreciate you talking about it because like, you know, it's just the memories start flooding over you about this stuff, and you know, like I said, it's so impactful on my life that I haven't thought about it in forever. So I'm appreciative that that you're asking me these questions, but um, I, I, when I finally got all my stuff, I got moved to college station. Uh, I met with Kevin Hodge in person at it's a little park in town and we still practice there, Brian Bachman community park. And literally he's sitting on his back tailgate and he's just talking to me about what the 12s got and, and what the team I was going to coach was going to look like. And he is like, look, man, I'm just, you're new. I don't know anything about you. The team that needs a coach is rough, but we're trying to get this thing started. We're trying to do it the right way. Uh, so you're not going to walk into a, a handful of uh, ultra talented players. Uh, and you've also got some, some parents that are new to the travel ball environment and they're definitely new to how we want our parents to act. And so that first year was it, it was a tough job, man. Like I've been coaching really talented players that were 17, 18 years old. And I went from that to coaching 
12-year-old, a 12-year-old team that wasn't the most talented players. Now, I'll say this. Over the course of my time with that group, and it's something that the 12 does, and I think Greg hinted at it, we stay with our kids. And especially way back then, when we didn't have all these branches and all these different organizations, we stayed with our kids. Like, it was all College Station kids. We didn't have Katie intermingling with these groups. We, you'd have kids come in from here and there, but it was mostly – Early on, it was mostly those kids that you had had since they were youth players. And that group that I had, I was way too hard on them. Um, I made them do some ridiculous things because I was trying to change the culture of the team and the parents. Um, and I tell – but to this day, those kids are calling me, inviting me to their weddings. I mean, now they're getting married and having kids. I'm still involved with a ton of their lives. I'm extremely close with that group of parents still. So it's funny to think about that being my first team where they weren't super talented. And I, I love those kids and, and those families with my whole heart. Even to this day, I'll tell them, you guys couldn't play dead in a cowboy movie. They, were, they weren't talented, but they bought into the way we were going to do things. They're super tough. They were a little crazy on the side of like the good kind of crazy, the good kind of psycho where like every pitch they're ready to fight the other team. So as they matured with those traits and characteristics, they started winning games that way because they were just more fired up to play than the other team. They were willing to play for their teammates. And that I think that first group helped me kind of set what I wanted to be as a coach. Like they, they helped me set my own coaching standard of where was I too tough on them, but what are those aspects that I did with that first group that are applicable to 12-year-olds that are no good, to 16-year-olds that are the best in the country, to nine-year-olds just now learning the game. You know, so like that, that group, whether they know it or not, helped mold my extremely – they helped immensely to mold my kind of creeds as a coach, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So you talk about when Coach Bennett, you know, he takes you down to that, what was it, Bruce Bachman Field or it was – Brian Bachman Bachman Field. You guys are sitting on his tailgate. He's talking about the parents, kind of, you know, this is a new thing we're doing. This is what we want our parents to do. This is how we want our parents to act. For the Texas 12, I mean, I've talked to Mark. Now I'm talking to you. I've talked to Jeremy, obviously Greg as well. And they talked about, you know, how the parents are acting. What does that prototypical parent act like for the Texas 12? Like what, what, like how are you expecting these parents to act? And like when you're having maybe your preseason meetings, like what do you guys go about when in terms of, you know, being a parent of a Texas 12 player? Yeah, it's funny. You can treat the parents kind of similar that you can treat the kids. Give them standards, hold them to that standard, and they're great. And you can build lifelong relationships and and really close friendships out of doing this stuff this way. And the first thing with, with anything, man, the kids have to believe that you have your, their best interests. So you can yell, scream and holler. If the kids believe you love them and that you're doing it for their best interest, they'll buy into it. The parents are the same way. And so one of the things that I'm sure coach Mangum and coach Bennett and coach Knox, one of our creeds as, as 12, and one of the things that we promote is we're going to be fearlessly different. And we're going to be fearlessly different from the way we um, do our pitch counts. We're going to be fearlessly different from to, hey, if this is game five on a Sunday, 
we're not going to play. We're going to go home. You guys can have the trophies. We're out of pitching. It's 9 o'clock at night. These kids got school tomorrow. We're going home. So everything from that to the way we expect our parents to act, and the best way that I've heard it, and Kevin Hodge is full of so much wisdom, and uh, uh, Kevin is such a mentor to everybody in this program that when I say we're copycatting, we're mostly copycatting off Kevin's value system and kind of Kevin's vision for what he wanted this thing to be. Um, Kevin says, we want the most boring parents at the ballpark. Think about that. We want boring parents. So, and, and we actually in the, I think it was the early 2010s, like 2012, 2013, we polled our players. What do you want mom and dad to do? Well, I want them to be there, first of all. Do you want them to scream and holler? They don't have to do that. I just want them to be there. Do you want them to get mad and, and, and when you don't when you don't get a hit or you make an error? No, I just want them to be there. The thing that we kept hearing is you just need to be there. They want you there. So we took that information and we give it to our parents and like, look, be boring. Sit there. If your kid does something good, clap, yell for the other kids on the team, be a really supportive parent. But if your kid goes up and he goes three for four with two doubles and a homer, you didn't get those hits. Your kid got those hits. In the same way, if he goes 0 for 4 with three punches, okay, those are his punch outs. They're not yours. So you got to let the kids' successes be theirs and let their failures be theirs. And by doing that and creating that culture and telling the parents that early on, it permeates, man. Because no, I don't know, it may be like a social, societal thing. If you get enough parents that believe that, then you, you don't want to be the one parent on the team who's going up to the fence yeah. every time to talk to little Johnny about where his elbow should be in his stance because nobody else is doing that. And so just like you see your peers acting a certain way, again, it's culture. It's, it's a parent culture that's permeated. So was there a struggle to build that culture at first and oh, now you're to the point where that now? A thousand percent because it's not easy. I don't have kids of my own. So I'm, I'm yelling and I, I do yell a lot. I'm, and every coach will tell you I'm the loudest guy there, whatever. It's the way I am. And, and I think the kids respond to it. It's not demeaning yelling. I'm just loud, but you're asking the kids and you're holding kids to a standard and it's not your kids. And so I'm sure whenever you have new coaches or you're in a new environment and things are uncomfortable, they're not like they've been in the past. It's probably tough for you as a parent to sit there and swallow your tongue. But again, I go back to my upbringing. There were some th things that happened to me in college that I didn't necessarily agree with how they were handled and how that I was managed from a coach's perspective. Not one time did my mother or father ever address a coach, ever. They let me do it because that was my career, and I will be forever thankful for them for that. So I so with that struggle at the beginning, where did you see this whole the whole culture of you know how you want your players, how you want your parents to act? Where did you see this kind of transition slowly to where you know what these players are these parent players, these parents, they're buying into our culture, they're starting to act the way that you know 12 baseball players and families are supposed to act. When did you kind of see that transition into you know the majority of the teams buying into that culture? You know, it, it, it's diff it differs on every team because I think that culture is set by the coach, like what they're going to allow, right? And, and, so, and I'm not saying my way's right. I've screwed up plenty. But 
the general the general feel or the what we want in general uh is for parents to act a certain way how you get there it really don't matter right so but it does take time for everybody to get it to where the parents are the ones holding each other accountable and and it was fantastic and Katie has, has it's taken Katie a little bit longer to kind of get on, not to get on board, um, but like for the parents to kind of get it because they were in, and I think Knox and, and Coach Bennett talked about this, was like Houston is massive and there's so much competitive com- competition in the city of Houston where from the time you're eight, it's trophy winning time, baby. We, we're going to tournaments and we're winning trophies. And I believe at one point in the late 2010s, Houston, Texas was the youth baseball capital of the world. There were more kids playing youth baseball in the city of Houston than anywhere else in the world. So in order for us to go in and establish our culture of exactly how we wanted the parents to be, we knew going into Houston, it was going to take long, a lot longer to do that than it did with the parents in College Station. Because again, we're 90 miles Northwest of Houston. We're kind of in our own little bubble. Now, Brian College Station is growing like crazy, but still, it's just different. It's different. You're going big city living. Everything's a competition. Even to get to dinner, you got to fight through traffic to way more laid back uh, out in the country kind of living up here in College Station. So it was really cool to be a part of that transition or the, the addition of the Katy branch at the youth level because that's where you got to see the parents in college station that had been conditioned and the way they were acting early on or the way they interacted with each other, with the kids during games, all that kind of stuff and the Katie groups. And so I've watched the Katie groups continuously grow and get better at all that as time has gone on. But so I guess like 2013, 2014 was never, we really started to see like, Hey, the, the Katie, the Katie families are slowly starting to figure this out because the College Station families have been such a good example. And then they started intermixing in high school. So that the, the, the College Station parents got to know the Katie parents. And then that's when it really started rapidly taking off in terms of parent culture. So being with the Texas 12 since its infancy, like you like you mentioned, um, you've kind of already dug into it a little bit. But how have you seen the Texas 12 go from that infancy stage back in 2010, 2011 to where it's at now, you know, adding all these different coaches, scaling it out to go into all these, you know, WWBA, Lake Point, the USA tournament you guys are always in. Uh, just take us through, you know, from this infancy to where you guys are at now in 2023, just through your eyes, take us through that journey. Like I said, I know it's a loaded question. Yeah, it's, you know, it's all a product of some really brilliant forward thinking by Greg Bennett to get us into the Katy area and then just incredible uh, over the top, good leadership from Kevin Hodge. I mean, I, I don't know what Mark or, and I listen to some of Jeremy's and a lot of coach Bennett's, but we can't say enough about coach Hodge and like, just if, if this thing was going to go that big, as big as it's gotten, it was going to have to be behind a man like Kevin Hodge. Like nobody else could have done this because the standard that he set for coaches, the standard that he set for parents, the set, the standard that he set for the organization, how it's supposed to work the day to day. There's nobody in the baseball world, especially at the time that was thinking that way. And there's nobody that's organized enough and has the passion enough 
to see it grow in the way that it has. And you'll talk to Kevin. He was like, it was never the goal for this thing to get this big. It, it got this big because God has blessed us. This was a, this was a mentorship for Kevin Hodge. You know, it's, that that's why this thing has gotten big is, is because of him. And like, I, I'm really forward thinking about Greg Bennett, some real initiative. And then once we got our brand into the Katie and in, in the Woodlands markets in greater Houston, I, I think that people started to see us do things differently and in our way of doing things differently, have success because Jace, you can do things differently all you want to. If you lose a bunch of games while doing it, nobody's going to care. Yeah. But we made our practices incredibly good, right? We made our structure incredibly good. We made our expectations that we will win games, but we'll never sacrifice our standard to win games. And I know Coach Bennett talked to you just for one example, is the curveball rule. We don't know that curveballs hurt kids' arms at 11. You know, if you throw it right, the science says, if you throw it right, it actually hurts arms less than a fastball, right? But how many 11-year-olds are throwing it right? And also, how many guys get recruited because they have a great curveball? If you got a great curveball and you throw 81, nobody cares. So we wanted to, we'll never, we'll never sacrifice our value system to win a game or to win a trophy. And that was different. That's still very different than what goes on in a lot of these tournaments, a lot of these settings. So it's just stuff like that, just standards like that, that we were not going to sacrifice on that I think started drawing people in. And as we started to win games and doing it our way uh, and finding like-minded coaches, and a lot of them are former players that get it, that's that's how we, we really got it going was the standard and Kevin hired really good coaches and we all took from Kevin's example. You know, you get your first team there. You, you come to the Texas 12, 2010, 2011. You say you have great relationships with those players, with those families still. But what happens after that, you know, that first team that you have graduates? What goes with you within the Texas organ the Texas 12 organization? What happens next? And how does that get you to where you're at now as the associate director of high school of high school operations? Yeah, I think so. After that first group, when when they graduated, I went back down to the next age group that needed a coach. So it was the ten U's. So I took the ten U's that was actually the class of twenty twenty two. They're freshmen in college now. From the time they were ten, I brought them all the way through. Um, then I went back and I got the class of twenty twenty fives, and I'm bringing them. I got them at twelve year olds. Is actually I, I coached Greg's son for a couple of years in that before he's kind of taken his own team and, and gotten the greater Houston kids. But I got the 2025s. I'm bringing them all the way through. I currently have the eighth graders. Last year they needed a coach at 13U. So I went after my 2022s got done. I went back down and dropped down and got them. So I love our model because we get to, to really invest in these kids and watch them grow in these families. Um that second group of players, the class of 2022, didn't know it at the time when they were 10 years old. Um, they they are probably the best class we've ever had, top to bottom. Uh, we signed over 90 guys in that class. Uh, in the summer, I was coaching 2022 
gold. Now, I don't, it really doesn't matter how you view our colors, but we got you know, maroon, black, gold, silver. They're all of our different rosters in the summer. Gold would have been probably team four, team three or team four, depending on how you looked at it. On that team, I believe we had eight division one players on the fourth team. It was wild. And most of them were college station area kids. I become a, I'm very, I'm extremely loyal to my kids. And I believe it's probably selfish of me to think this, but I don't believe that there's another coach, even within our academy with coaches I trust implicitly. I don't think that there's another coach that is going to care for the kids as much as I care for them. So if I can continue to coach them from the time they're 10 all the way till they're 18, even when they get in our high school groups uh, and they get all dumped in that big salad bowl and pulled out, I'll always fight to have the kids that I've had for a while. So a lot of those kids were college station area kids that were on team three or team four last summer. And they ended up signing division one scholarships to Northwestern in the big 10 uh, rice McNeese state uh, several really talented junior college players, UT Dallas. Um, I'm trying to go through the whole list right now, but like it's, it's really pretty, remarkable what that group turned into yeah so what were some of those lessons that you learned taking that first team all the way through to their graduation going through with the 2022s so maybe some of those lessons that you applied to that second group and then even even taking that even further to the lessons you learned with that second group to now with those eighth graders class of what 2026 2027 what are some 20... of those lessons and how have you applied those um to you know your your next couple of groups yeah, you know, it's funny because when those that very first class that I had, when they come back and they watch, some of them had little brothers, little cousins that are playing with 12, and they'll see me at a practice and they're going, man, you got soft, you got soft. They're not doing X, Y, Z that we did. And it's like, you know, I don't know that I've gotten soft. I've just learned kind of how to better manage the the really, really tough stuff that you can make kids go through to pull them together as a group, right? And that's baseball is nowhere near what actual war is not i mean not even sniffing it right but i always thought like when you see these guys that would go off uh, and serve our country and they would come back how close they were together well why are they so close because they went through hell together so what i always thought and it's still to a degree in my I, I believe this like if we need to work on team chemistry stuff make them do really hard things together Cause it's going to pull them, it'll pull them closer. So I've learned as I've gotten older, when to kind of really hammer down on that stuff, but also you, you, you can't, it can't all be about that because these parents are paying for a service. Number one, it's my responsibility to make their, their kids better young men. I'm going to send a lot more men into this world than I am baseball players. So I have a real responsibility for that. And I think that that is where all the accountability running, accountability conditioning comes in. Like you're helping build men by holding them accountable to the standard, all that kind of stuff. Um, but they're also, they're also paying us to get their kids better at baseball. So like how much of your time in a practice needs to be devoted to something that is an off-the-field issue, but it really needs to be addressed for these kids for the rest of their life to learn a lesson. How much of that do we address in practice time whenever 
we've got some real baseball skill and baseball knowledge stuff that we've also got to work on. So I've learned as I've gotten older and the lessons that I've learned is how to better manage those two aspects. How do they intertwine? How maybe can we do both at once? Um, but, but that has just come with trial and error, man. So while you're coaching these age groups, so class of 2022, now the class of 2027, like I've mentioned, you're also like your job title with the Texas 12 is the associate director of high school baseball operations. So with that job title, what job duties, what job descriptions kind of come with that? Yeah, so I'm basically the liaison, for lack of a better word, between the College Station area kids and our other coaches uh, amongst all branches as well as the college coaches that are going to be calling interested in the college stationary kids. So my, my title is associate director of the high school program in the college station area. Every one of our branches has a different director. Um, and, and I'm the director of the high school group here. And so basically what that means, Jace, is that, um, you know, the Houston area guys, Katie and the Woodlands, they're, they're not exactly close to each other. It's about a 40, 30, 40 minute drive but it's greater Houston. So they're able to get around, watch these kids play. They're much more familiar with the kids in Houston than they are the kids in college station. So what I've got to do is as we make rosters for the summer, or we're trying to place kids wherever in camps and in colleges, I've got to say, Hey, this is what this kid is. I think he should probably go on this team. Um, and be just be an advocate for the kids in, in this, in this area, both, with our other coaches as we make rosters, but also with colleges. Okay. So with the Texas 12, like you've mentioned, like Greg, Jeremy, Mark mentioned it as well. The one thing you guys do that a lot of travel teams don't is your guys' as coaches stay with your kids. How does that work when, let's say for the class of 2027, so next year when they go to high school baseball, how does that work when they all get put into the salad bowl um, and kind of, you know, they're split amongst different ways? How does that work when it comes to trying to keep kids with that same coach that they've had in the past. Yeah. And so you never want to sacrifice, you never want to sacrifice a kid's development in terms of the level that he's playing at. Um, but the way we've tended to do it in the past, Jace, is if, if it's close, if it's really similar skill set in, in kid, we would tend to put them up to play for the coach that they've been playing for. Right. So if, if we're splitting hairs on what kind of player they are, at what level they play at, if his youth coach is now coaching a high school group, put him with that group, right? Um, but it, it can't always be that way. And it's – I do think there's a real, real positive for the kids as they get thrown into the salad bowl and picked out and they're going to be playing in the summer with guys they don't know and have never played with. There's some huge positives that go with that because guess what college baseball is? You're playing with guys you've never met before. Yeah. It's a good introduction. Um, and I think now too, man, like with social media, these kids can, can get on faster. Uh, they can figure out kind of who they're playing with a lot faster. They can figure out stuff about them, uh, with this social media and just the accessibility that kids have with one another now. Uh, but yeah, so like, I'll always, if, if it's close, if I've got a kid that's a college station area kid and he needs, he's a, he's a right-handed pitcher and he's six foot four and. You know, he's 95 to 97 miles an hour draft. He does – if I'm coaching team three, he doesn't need to play on my team, yeah. man. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, but if it's close, if it's close, if he's a 6'1 righty and he's 88 
to 90 and we've got 10 of those guys, okay, maybe we can put him with Coach Broniger. But it's still my job to advocate for that kid at the, at the correct level of college baseball that he needs to play at. Okay. So with you being that 2022 director and now with the 2027s, what is you, you talk about your role in recruiting there a little bit, you know, trying to get them to the best, the best place for them at the next level when it comes to college ball. But what role do you play in recruiting, you know, for that class of 2022, looking back at it and that in that role in recruiting, you're kind of expecting to play with this class of 2027. Yeah, I think everybody does it a certain way. If you coaching as long as I have playing, as long as I have, you get connections in the industry. Um, I'll take anything from, you know, I'll call a coach on behalf of a kid. Like, Hey, do you, I got a catcher. Do you need a catcher? Like, I think he can play at your level. I think he'd be really good for you. I think it'd be a good fit to coaches calling us and saying, Hey, what do you got? Like, I, I need, I need an outfielder. Uh, but we also, one of the things that Kevin Hodge did very early on that I thought was brilliant is when the kids get into high school, they start sending us their list of schools they like to attend. And it's so funny how those lists change every year in high school. But again, it goes back to educating parents, educating the kid. In the state of Texas, Jace, guess where all the kids want to grow up and play? Uh, I would assume UT and A&M. Yes, TCU's made their way into that conversation as well. So is Texas Tech. That's four schools, okay? And I think Baylor, Baylor, Baylor's out of it? No, I think Baylor's working their way with Zach Dillon and Mitch Thompson there. I think they're working their way back into it. But right now, I mean, the, the two giant schools in the state are Texas and A&M, right? Nobody dreams from the time they're six years old of playing for Sam Houston State or Texas A&M Corpus Christi or Lamar or SFA, UTA. But guess what? A lot of our kids end up at those places. So having an idea – about where a kid wants to go. And when they're freshmen, it's all those big power five schools. And as they get older, they're going, well, you know, the starting shortstop at Texas is six foot three. He runs a six, five 60. He can hit a ball 475 feet and he's 96 miles an hour across the infield. I don't got any of that. Yeah. <laughs> where do I need to go to continue my career? And so I, I think having kids be able to realize that and look, we put all that information out for the kids as early as we can when they get into high school. You want to go catch at A&M? Well, here's, all, here's what A&M's catchers look like and their physical abilities and what, what they're able to do. Do you look like those guys? Do you fit kind of in these criteria? If not, maybe we need to take A&M off our list. So being very honest with them, I, I think it helps. It, it builds a lot of trust. There's some hard conversations, but you got to be honest. Um, and it, it's crazy now because our evaluations and we're so honest that we're sending kids where they should go. And so college coaches are seeing that. So I know Jeremy mentioned it a little bit late yesterday, like he's got a pretty good track record of sending guys to college. Well, I, I'd make that argument for a lot of guys on our staff and our, our entire organization, because we're going to be honest with these college coaches. We're going to be honest with the kids and the parents about what they are and where, the, where we think they fit. So watching those lists kind of dwindle down as they get older is always pretty fun because by the time they're going into their senior year, they've got everything from, you know, G5 mid-majors to D1 junior colleges to the really top, top level D2 and D3 schools. Mm -hmm. 
So as these kids, you know, are maturing, obviously kind of figuring out, you know, where they might fit best when it comes to collegiate baseball, how do you guys do the whole tryout process when it comes to, you know, from 14U, 15, 16, 17U, trying to keep them with the same coach, trying to keep them with the same team? What does that tryout process look like for the Texas 12? Yeah, I wouldn't say that we try to keep them with the same team or with the same coach at all. We, we place them where they where it's best for their future, that okay. we believe is best for their future. If that is with their same coach, cool. If that is with a lot of the kids they've been playing for for the last three or four years, cool. But that's not the goal. That's just the cherry on top if it happens that way, right? Um, what I was saying earlier was that if it's close, we would tend to give the coach that's been coaching the kid a long time, let him keep playing for that same coach. But it it doesn't happen that way very often. I mean, I couldn't even put a percentage up, maybe 20% of the time. So we're placing these kids where they need to go. Um, sorry, I got distracted. What was your original question? Um, just how, just how that were you answered it? I mean, you oh, okay. just just talking about how because oh the tryout, process. yeah. So and so we'll open up tryouts. Uh, we just had one in early January. We'll have one more in April, uh, and we're not going to turn down good players. Uh, and. We're looking for, you know, we kind of go into the trouts with an idea of how many each class needs based off what we saw at the end of the fall and last summer. You know, I, I think our 24 class needed like we really we would take any and all good players. Right. But we really needed seven of them, seven or eight. And we needed some a catcher in there if we could find one just to make all of the rosters that we're going to field next summer to make them as complete and as competitive as we could. So we, we kind of have an idea, but again, that's not a black and white thing. Like, yeah, there's a ton of gray area there. So with the Texas 12, obviously, I mean, the brand that you guys have built is just phenomenal. Like you said, I mean, people are, you know, scouring to go to a, probably a Texas 12 tryout there. They're like, oh, Texas 12 here in town. Let's go then. Let's go try out. But is there any sort of recruiting process in a way when it comes to, you know, maybe you see a guy playing ball from that area. You're like, hey, come to a Texas 12 tryout. Does that have does that play any role at all? Or for the most part, does the brand kind of do the work for itself? Yeah, me personally, I don't go out and recruit kids. Um, I've got a ton of respect for a lot of the uh, people that we play against in the greater Houston area. Um, I, I want parents and I want kids to do whatever they think is best for their future. So we've obviously been in business for a long time. We've we've rubbed some people the wrong way. We've had some people leave and people will come and tell me and, and try to tell me why they're leaving and I said, look, if you think there's genuinely a better avenue for your son, a better situation for your son out there, you should go. I, I'm not saying we're the best. I believe in what we're doing. I believe in my heart that we are doing things as, as mostly as we can for the kids um, under the leadership. Like, like I, I believe very much with my whole heart. I trust fully Kevin Hodge, and I understand his vision and how he wants things to run. Um, and I believe we're doing best by the kids and the families that uh, we can, and, and at least in my instances, in, in the way I'm dealing with stuff. But who am I to tell another parent or another kid that there's not some that that we're the best? Like if, if you see a situation, if you're unhappy with us or you see a situation that you think is going to be better than you, I don't have to agree that it's better at all. But I'm not the one to judge that. If, so if you leave um, – you know, we, we wish you luck. We've had I've had kids leave, man, late in their high school careers who I'm still extremely close with. When they were getting recruited, I was making phone calls on their behalf 
even though they don't play for us anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's no hard feelings. Like I'll never tell you, don't put your son or now with softball, your daughter in a situation that you think is better. That's not my place. So with the tremendous amount of growth that the Texas 12 has had, you know, in the past 13 years, from your from your point of view, from your perspective, you know, with the trust that you have in Coach Hodge and everybody everybody else in the 12 organization, where do you see this vision going these next couple of seasons, these next couple of years? And then a, a second question kind of follow that up with, like, what are some of your goals heading into, you know, 23, 24 with the Texas 12? Yeah, in terms of my goals, I just want to continue to – hold up to to the standard of the 12 baseball academy i want to continue to hold up to my standard and i I have three goals as a coach and i mentioned one of them earlier my first is is to be is to hold them accountable and make really good men that's my first goal as a coach my second goal is to be a really good example and really positive example in their life you know i don't know what everybody's home situation is i feel like i get to know my players pretty well but they may not have somebody they can talk to about stuff and i want to be that guy uh, and I want to be a positive influence and a positive, uh, in, uh, very much a positive impact on what they're doing day to day and then what they do for the rest of their life. And then the third thing is I want to build good baseball players. So that's the last of my worries. If, I, if I'm building good young men and I'm providing the, a quality example for them, the baseball stuff just happens outside of that. Um, so that's for me personally. I just kind of want to keep to, to those standards. And, and then for the 12, where do I see this going? That's a tough – it's tough, man, because if you had asked me this seven years ago, I wouldn't have told you where we're at today. Um, so it, it's always tough, and I don't envy Kevin in this respect, that when growth happens, keeping the quality and the standard is, is tough to do, right? As you get bigger, you got to continuously work to be even more organized. you got to continuously work to find the right people. So – if you open a branch somewhere and you don't have the right people running it, that thing's going to fold sooner than you can get it open. So there's a, there's a lot of work to do to find the right people that are going to align with our value system to, to grow this thing any more than it has. And we had our giant coaches meeting from with every coach, softball, baseball, from every branch. We had it last week um, just in, in a town, Navasota, between College Station and Houston. And we had coaches from Corpus and San Antonio and Katie and the Woodlands and College Station and the softball group. And Kevin popped up a map of the state of Texas. And I don't know if you've ever been down here, Jay, uh, Jace, but it, once. One time. One big. time for, for four days. It's pretty big. And what Kevin did was he highlighted the areas where we have gotten kids in our program from. And to cover that amount of land in a state this size is pretty remarkable and you go how much more can we do you know feasibly and we have phenomenal relationships as i mentioned with the other travel big travel baseball academies in the state of texas and we never want to go in and step on their toes right we they believe the same stuff we believe in this isn't about making us a monopoly or growing us into a national brand that's not what this is about. If, if if you're doing baseball the right way and teaching life lessons through that, we're all for you. You know, we want to play teams that are like-minded as us. We want to play teams that are talented like us. And so, but the vision, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, it's hard to go, where do we go next? 
you know, but I'm confident in the leadership, ultra confident in, in the decisions those guys make. Um, I, I tell everybody like, I'm fine being the pack mule, man. Like just let me be the guy that coaches practices and, and gets really involved and really dive in with the kids at a grassroots level. Like I love going to my 14 year practices right now. Like I don't have to be the guy that goes and coaches at UBC or at USA. I'm fine being, you know, let, let's really hone our brand at practice in the day to day. I'm fine being that guy. Yeah. Well, you, you talk about how, you know, the bigger that you get, like the more, you know, the tougher it is to, you know, keep those small details intact, you know, keep the quality of, you know, the business or quality of it's pretty much in, in every industry, the quality of it, the same compared to, you know, let's say it's, it's, you know, one, one program, like let's say college station. I mean, you know, that was probably, like you said, like probably one of the toughest things I, I grew up in the bar industry. My parents, well, my parents have owned bars and they've always been told, you know, open a, a second or third bar. But, you know, they're always like, well, if we do that, then, you know, the quality is not going to be the same. I mean, look at it. If you look at the fast food industry, if, for example, like, I mean, there's so many of those fast food industries. You walk into, let's say, a Taco Bell or something, that quality is not very good. But let's say if you walk into a mom and pop taco place, that quality, for the most part, is probably going to be pretty good. And like just the way you described it, I mean, I feel like, you know, that's across, you know, so many different industries. And it's so, you know, so great that you guys have built that and somehow find a found a way to create that through the different coaches that you guys have through the different programs, this and that. But I got one last question about the Texas 12. Then we'll have, a, we'll, then we'll dig into Tex Ags here just a little bit. I've got a meeting at 2.30. So we'll end this off here around 2.25 or so. But no, so this is going to be a loaded question. But as you're 13, 14 years with the Texas 12, what are two to three of your favorite memories that just come to mind? Like, I, I know, tough, tough question, yeah. loaded question, but just what are some of those memories, some of these stories that come to your mind that just when you think of, you know, just your your time with the Texas 12 so far? Yeah, so one of them for sure would be we were playing in, uh, at the time it was a, it was called Premier Baseball, and they were, there was, they were trying to get like-minded academies from across the country. It, it was a pretty popular thing for about four or five years. Um, and we were playing a tournament. It was in based out of Southwest Missouri. So like Joplin area, but you had games in Kansas. You had games in Northeast Oklahoma, Northern Arkansas. We played uh, a game against a team out of Colorado, out of Denver. And the group that we went up there with had Luke and Baker on it. Luke and Baker was, our highest draft pick to this point until Blake Mitchell hears his name called here in a couple of months. Um, Lucan is, in my opinion, I wasn't around Blake much during his time with 12. Lucan is the best player I've ever coached, been around top to bottom. Dugout presence, team leadership, maturity, and skill up the whole thing. Lucan off the charts, man. And we're playing at Pittsburgh State in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Do you know what their mascot is? I do not. I was they're thinking the, Pittsburgh State, like, you know, in, in Pennsylvania, let alone Kansas. But Yeah, they're the gorillas. It's really pretty cool. But we're playing, and it's getting late. We're more talented than the team we're playing, but it's close. And Lucan had kind of struggled a little bit in that tournament, but he was getting closer to getting back to, and finding himself. He gets in at bat late in the game, and the wind in Kansas blows hard, right? So it's, it's probably 15 to 20 out to dead center. And I remember I, was, I wasn't I was coaching third. I was kind of the hitting coach on that group, so I was in the dugout. And 
the team from Denver brings in a sidewinder, throwing basically almost underhand, like submarine. And he gets ahead of Lucan with two strikes, and then he starts spinning these sliders in there. And Lucan, like, every time he swings at one of these, the ball's going straight back, straight back, straight back, and he keeps doing it. And I looked at the guy next to me, I said, dude, he's a – this kid, Lucan's about to figure all this stuff out. He's going to get on time with one of these. And it wasn't a pitch later, man. He hit a ball, and we still talk about it to this day. That's how far he hit it. So we measured the fence that it hit. It cleared the left field wall, cleared a parking lot. Then the softball field was on the other side of the parking lot. We measured the fence that it hit. So it was probably a eight, 10 foot high fence. The fence was 490 feet away from home plate and just stopped the whole ballpark. I, I've never seen in, with my own eyes a human being do that to a baseball. And I played with a lot of big leaguers, like just unheard of. That that one stands out as one of the more memorable ones. Uh, and then, you know, I had that very first group I had, they were scrappy, dude. So they cleared the benches about three, like never threw punches. <laughs> but they, and that was early on. But man, they were they were tough and it helped them win games. And they were so together that it was – I can't remember who we were playing, but a kid was trying to, to beat out a ground ball. We were on defense. And he, the, the runner stepped on my first baseman's ankle. I didn't think it was malicious, but everybody else on the team did. So by the time I turned around and looked up, they were all running onto the field to have their guys back. Like, that's when I knew that team was – they're different, man. Like, there's nobody wired that, like that. And then I don't know if I could specifically – I would say probably that first conversation with Kevin Hodge at Brian Bachman Park. And I wouldn't have said that unless you asked me about that earlier, so thank you for doing that. But that's where this whole thing started. That that – that decision, me getting accepted into grad school, that conversation with Kevin Hodges changed my life. Yeah. So moving away from the Texas 12 here just a little bit, talking about your experience with Tex Ags. So I know that's a Texas A&M-based program. You were on a radio show there with a co-host. Um, you're the baseball analyst, football recruiting analyst there. But take us through how you got your job with Tex Ags. I believe that was 2015, so you've been there for a while Take us through how you got that job and what that what that experience has been so far. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really there's a there's a really long version. I'll give you the short version. I got my master's at AM and had been working for the 12th Man Foundation in their marketing department. I was essentially spreadsheet boy. I was making spreadsheets and I hated it. I hated being in the office. Um and then I bounced around odd jobs in college station because I knew my grandfather and his infinite wisdom told me if you chase money your whole life, you'll never find home. He said, find home and see if you can figure out your money situation there. So through my involvement with 12 baseball, I fell in love with the community. I fell in love with my situation coaching. Um, but at the time we were so, it was so small. It was really tough to make ends meet just coaching for the 12. So I was trying to do other odd jobs. I was giving lessons. Um, and, because my master's is in sports management, Texags is the biggest sports company covering Texas A&M by a million miles. Um, it's one of the biggest college sports websites in the country by a, a long shot. Like the numbers that we do, Jace, I could go into them. It's wild. So everybody, when you're at A&M, 
you know about Texax. And just given my background, to go back to what I said originally, like I, I kind of knew sports journalism, sports broadcasting was something I wanted to get to get in with and I thought it'd be good at. And I always viewed Texags, even when I was bouncing around jobs here, I always used Texags as like the perfect fit for me. I think that'd be really good at it, right? So it just so happens Greg Bennett found out about this and set me up my very first interview with Texags. Drove over and interviewed, went extremely well. Like blew it out of the water. I thought this is perfect. I'm getting this job. The problem was I wanted full time. They were looking for part time. Fast forward about eight months later, Texags, I get they have another opening come up. Interview, awesome. Again, they're looking for part time. I was really trying to turn it into a full time gig, and this is just how God works, and as God has worked in my life, Jace, I was pulling pennies out of my center console to pay for gas just to wait for my next paycheck, right? From 12 scraping up any kind of money I could doing lessons, camps, all that kind of stuff. And my mom said, look, you, you got a bachelor's degree from McNeese state. You got a master's degree from Texas A&M. You're 26, seven years old. Like you, you should be more financially viable in this world than where you're at right now. You, you're going to have to leave college station to, to find more opportunity. Nothing. It's just, nothing's breaking for you there. And for whatever reason, like I was like, I, I just feel like I need to be here. Something I, I got it. Like this feels like home to me. And I, again, I can vividly remember where I was when I was digging through the ashtray to pay for gas. And the guy that runs Texax called Billy Lucci is his name. Billy called me and said, Hey man, like we're opening up another full-time spot covering football recruiting. You want to come meet about it? And I said, yeah. And I met with them at a, a Mexican food place here in town and, and got the job and had no background in football, had no background uh, covering the city of Houston. Uh, and that was my responsible territory. And uh, man, it, it took a lot of miles on my, my truck and my Tahoe, it took a lot of miles um, on on my brain and on my body. But I've been able to kind of carve out my own niche here. And because of the opportunities that, that Billy has provided me here at Tex-Ags, um, but it all goes back to the opportunities that, that Greg Bennett and, and Kevin Hodge provided with me and the, the sense of home and the way they ran things. And just I knew I wanted to be – a part of I wanted to be around that and it all worked out in the end perfectly I've been with Tex Ags at seven years now man I've got my own radio show I do a bunch of podcasts I do a bunch of appearances I uh, I cover the baseball team that thing's taken off with coach Sloshnagel here and um really have kind of built my own brand and it, it's I'm so lucky it's ridiculous my job's stupid I have the stupidest two jobs in the world man like I get to coach baseball I get to talk about sports and they pay me to do it. Like what a joke. There are people that are dealing with real life stuff. My fiance is a brilliant woman. She's an attorney. She's dealing with personal injury stuff. Like these are massive moments in people's lives. She's waking up and dealing with real stuff. I got to worry about where a receiver is going to visit this weekend. I mean, how lucky am I to get to do that? You know? Yeah. So with you continuously evolving through this Tex Ags organization, like you said, building your brand, everyone kind of knows who you are when they 
follow Tech's Ags. Where do you kind of see this vision kind of going forward when it comes to, you know, tracking the baseball team, which the baseball team has been very successful here in the past couple of years, tracking football recruiting and potentially beyond as well. Where do you see this vision going on these next couple of years with Tex Ags? Yeah, again, it's it's a tough question to answer. Uh, it's kind of up to my superiors here, right? Um, you know, ideally, you know, running the roads, chasing down recruits is a little tough. Um, I'm looking to be starting a family soon. So, you know, maybe my job, not description, but kind of the responsibilities of me being on the road changes a little bit. Um, but I'm I'm super happy here. Um, this, this place has provided me so much, uh, both financially and professionally. I work with a great group of people, uh, very tight knit. And, and I, I, the guy, again, like I'm so, I talked about Kevin Hodge so much and Kevin Hodge and Billy Lucci, the guy that runs Texags, they're two very different people, but they've been great mentors and leaders for me in my life in different ways. And so this has been so lucky to be around those guys that, that, have built successful businesses. I mean, Kevin Hodge has built arguably the most successful travel baseball organization in the state of Texas. Billy Lucci has built, I don't think without a doubt, the most successful fan website in the country that's an independent. So we're not, Texags, we're not a part of 247 or Rivals or On3. We're an independent. And when you look at it through that scope, I don't think it's even close that Billy has built the biggest and best here at Texags. Um, so I've been provided with just such great examples on how to handle things at the very tip top level and how to continue to be creative and cutting edge and, and be at the forefront of, of an ever changing industry, both the baseball and the media side. So it's been a good conglomeration. And another thing, man, I'll tell you this, Jace, I, I, I'm really loyal to Texags because they've allowed to allowed me to keep coaching. Right. And and I've worked this deal out and Billy, trust me now to if I'm coaching third base and the phone rings and it says a certain name, whoever it may be, that's really important to my Texas job. I can step out of the dugout and take the call. Right. Uh, and, and handle whatever business I need and then go back to coaching. So that was kind of our deal. I was like, man, I don't mind you coaching. I know how much it means to you. That's what Billy was telling me. And he goes, I know how much you, you like having an impact on kids and working with the kids. He said, I don't want to take that away from you. He said, as long as you're getting your work done uh, and can balance the tech sag stuff with the 12 stuff, uh, I'm all in. I'll, I'll, I'll let you do it. And, like, how many how many bosses would, would allow you to do that for something that's so important in your life? And, and it's also another stream of income. Like, it would have been very easy to say, no, 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 I think it's going to be too much of a distraction. But he was all for it, and, I, and I'm so blessed that he, he said that and has allowed me to do both. Mm -hmm. So being that baseball analyst there for Texas A&M, what's the outlook on this upcoming spring? I'm watching college baseball this year. What should I expect from A&M? I know uh, Troy Wansing is going to be a pretty dominant player here, former JKR podcast guest. But besides him, yep. who are some other guys I should be on the lookout for? Yeah, so A&M preseason top five, according to the D1 baseball poll, they're number five. Um, just the SEC West is an absolute gauntlet. Like, how do you – I actually got asked today on the radio, where do you see A&M finishing in the SEC West? And I'm like, that's almost impossible to say right now because those series are so good, they're so competitive, that the series literally can turn on one pitch, one at bat, one bad hop, all that kind of stuff, is the difference in you winning a series and losing a series, which ultimately affects – 
where you kind of where you end up in the conference. But AM super veteran offensively, they should be very, very good. Uh, they're replacing a catcher named Troy Clonch, who had won a college world series at Oregon State and came to AM. Uh, it, it's going to be tough to replicate what he did uh, in terms of dugout leadership, managing the pitching staff, huge clutch hits last year. So that's a big question mark. Uh, they had another transfer come in and play left field in Dylan Rock, who I think he hit 20, 19 or 20 home runs and uh, all SEC player. They're going to re- be replacing him probably with a former 12 kid as a freshman in left field. Jace Lavalette, who's one of the bigger freak shows we've ever had come out of our academy, six foot six, 230 pound left handed hitter that's a six three runner, like just insane stats for in like skill set on this kid, but he's a kid. So, uh, you know, expected struggles there when you're going to the SEC as a true freshman, but as he starts figuring it out, he's going to be a real, real player. And, but outside of that, man, AM's they got a ton coming back. Uh, All-conference player at second base, first base, third base. The right fielder played all year last year, was injured. And he's fully healthy and, and back. They This should be a pretty good club. It, there's got to be some answers on the pitching side. They've got some uber-talented kids. You mentioned Troy Wansing. He's been great since he's been on campus. As a matter of fact, I think he's going to be in the weekend rotation uh, when the season starts. I kind of got him penciled in as their Saturday guy to start the year. We'll see how it all shakes out, but really came on really strong throughout late the fall. Uh, and uh, they've got a couple other freshman arms that are really intriguing that I think are going to be high leverage guys. But if they can figure it out on the mound and, and behind the plate, which are the two most important positions in baseball, if they can get it right there, they're poised to make another run at Omaha. Got one last baseball question here for you, then we'll end it off. Fun question here for you. So with you, you know, having a full baseball career, going to play collegiate baseball, now coaching now for 13, 14 years, covering Texas A&M baseball, you've been a lot, you've been around a lot of baseball brands. So if you had to choose one, what would be that favorite baseball brand? I'm a Rawlings guy, dude. I've always loved the feel of their gloves, the look of their stuff. I think it's really classy really clean. Um, I've always just been a Rawlings guy. Okay. I've, I was always a Rawlings guy too. Um, you know, as I start, you know, start my career as an agent, I'm, I, I told you that, right. Where I'm trying, I'm an yeah, aspiring yeah. MLEPA agent, you know, I'm starting to, you know, follow some of these, you know, up and coming glove brands, trying to build relationships sure. with them. But, you know, I'm still a Rawlings guy, obviously, you know, the dream glove company or what all these other small glove companies too, you know, I'm trying to give love as well. 44, I hear a lot about 44. I go around and I know, I mean, shoot, there's a bunch of Indiana guys with 44 gloves, but um, no, um, but no, that, that was the final question here for you on the JKR podcast, you know, loved getting to dig into your career when it comes to Texas 12 Tex Ags as well. Um, I'm just really appreciative of you coming on the show. Blessed to be a part of this Texas baseball, Texas 12 baseball series pumped to kind of, you know, get to know you, obviously all the coaches here this week and all the players in these next up, upcoming weeks as well. I'm just really thankful for this opportunity. It was great meeting you. Great great to kind of see where your career's gone. And just like I said, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. And and good luck with all your stuff going forward. If I can be a point of contact to help you in any way, don't hesitate to reach back out, man.